John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Um, you know, what's interesting here is he doesn't explain how that works. He doesn't offer you a book on 10 steps to hearing God. Actually, we have that out in the lobby. <laughs> Just kidding, it's not 10 steps, but we have a devotional out there if you want to participate in this time of prayer, or you, not even with us, you just want to grab one, they're free. So that table out there, when you came in, if you didn't receive one in the last week or so, please grab one, jump in. It works at any time. It's day one, day two. It doesn't have a date attached to it. And you can begin to apply it in growing God. But Jesus doesn't offer that. When Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, he says, my followers of mine, when they have said yes to me and when they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, they receive something, a dynamic on the inside that enables them to hear me, to know me, and to follow me. And here's the question I have for us. Since all God's people, according to Jesus, hear God's voice, why don't we? Why does it seem hard? Well, we're in a series called Channels. And you may have seen the little graphic. We got the little TV there, and we say channels, and you're like, what's that all mean? It's a series, it's a it's a series on hearing God, but but why the TV? Well, a TV operator, you know, when they have a TV, has to turn their TV on. Well, they have to plug it in first. And they have to turn it on, and then they have to take their remote and intentionally choose something they're going to watch. And they might even need to turn the volume knob up on it to make sure they can hear uh, what's happening. But the key idea here is that it takes intentionality. And sometimes many of us have treated our relationship with God and hearing God uh, like the TV should automatically come on, like the TV should automatically fall on the channel, and I should automatically hear. And I, I, I feel like there's a, this mindset in the modern church that if God wants it to happen, it just happens. I don't see it always being that way. God uses people, and he wants to partner with you in hearing his voice. And so I think hearing the voice of God in your life's like that. And there's a lot of voices, like a lot of TV channels you can choose to listen to. There's a lot of voices you can choose to dial into. And we want to learn to dial into the voice of God. And so why does it seem so hard? Like, why does it seem like I can't? Or maybe you're asking that. Or why does it seem so hard to do? I want you to imagine with me for a moment, someone sitting in a chair with you in a living room and they're in front of a big TV and it's there. And, and, and they begin to sit there and begin to say to you, man, I just, uh, <sighs> man, I really want to watch TV. All right, man, go for it. They don't do anything. You look at them again, and you see them like lost somewhere in their mind. They go, man, I really want to watch this show. And you're like, well, do it. And then you look over there and you notice they have a TV, but it's not even plugged into the wall. It's not turned on. They don't have a remote, a remote anywhere near them. And you begin to realize that maybe they're mostly wishing that they could watch TV when the simplicity of it, right, would be to plug it in, turn the power on, and pick a channel. Watching TV starts with believing that the TV was designed to bring you a picture and a sound, to bring you a story, to bring you an experience, to bring you news. Does that make sense? And if I plug it in and I turn it on, it'll work. Well, hearing God starts with simply believing God wants to talk to you. 
Hearing God starts to believe that you were designed, like a TV is designed to carry a signal or a broadcast, you were designed for fellowship with God. You were designed with intentionality. God designed you with a thought in his mind that you would be those who would walk in fellowship with God. I'm talking about the human race when he made us. And all you need to do is to find your way, to plug in, turn your spirit on, as it were, and it'll happen. Well, you know, how many know there's something when you open up a TV, a new TV, and you pull it out of a box, there's something else in there. Most of us don't care about it. What's that called? The user manual, right? Nobody cares about the user manual. I plug stuff in. I grab electronics. I just start figuring stuff out. Now, maybe you're one of those people that's really awesome, and you just pull it out, and you actually read everything. God bless you, sir or ma'am. That's not me. And so, but in every user manual, if you go to the back of the user manual, there's a section called the troubleshooting section. You know, it's got the weird stuff in it, like have no picture, and then it has some answer in the other box. Is your TV plugged in? How insulting, right? Uh, then it goes to, uh, they might say, have no sound. Do you have the volume turned up? Like it's really, troubleshooting is hilarious to me and some of the things they'll say in there. And while as it goes on, it gets a little bit deeper. I want to talk today to you about troubleshooting your connection with God. Because you were designed, just like the TV's designed to do, to be able to receive a broadcast and project that broadcast, so are you. And so we're going to look at that uh, today. And so I want to look at some uh, basic practices of hearing God type operation? What are the basic things that people who hear God regularly, what are the practices in their life that maybe sets them up to be able to do that? So let's look at practice number one. Practice number one is God speaks to the seeking. God speaks to the seeking. Now, Jimmy, when you say seeking, what do you mean? Like, like going to church? No, I really don't mean that. You know, I'm amazed if you study the history of Israel in the Bible all the people of God, they tell us when they receive the Ten Commandments, they actually all hear the voice of God at, at, the, at the foot of the mountain. Deuteronomy makes that abundantly clear, where Exodus did not make that as clear. And then they say, don't let God speak to us anymore lest we die. He's scaring us. Moses, you hear from God. And you talk to us. So the people of Israel, they had their own version of a worship service at a temple. But then there's Moses who's having a face-to-face -face or a a heart-to-heart, -heart, as it were, voice-to-ear relationship with God. And I believe the true seekers of God, not people who just want religion, not people who just want things to make them feel better, people, people who want God. There's something in their heart that, that, that uh, uh, compels them into connecting with God at a more personal level. And the true seeker doesn't want to spend the rest of their life hearing what God is saying, through other people. I mean, you don't want to hear me preach the rest of your life. And the goal, the, the goal of any good teacher should be to point people to their relationship with the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ for the leadership of God in their life. In other words, the practical way that Jesus is Lord of your life is the Holy Spirit leads you. And so, uh, I want to try to help, help you see this through a story in the Bible. When Pastor Vern preached a couple weeks ago, uh, he preached a message called, What's Going On in Your Head? And we have that message available online at our website under our media tab, lifewaychurch.life, or you can check it out on YouTube. But I want to strongly encourage you to listen to that message because Vern's attempt was to simply demystify hearing God in our lives. 
And I heard from many of you, I heard all kinds of comments. I saw things on Facebook. It's the best message I ever heard on hearing God. <sighs> I'm just kidding. Good job, Vern. Um, he did a great job preaching that message. Uh, and I want to encourage you to listen to it. But he brought up the prophet Samuel. When Samuel began to hear God, I want to back up a little bit. I want to tell the rest of Samuel's story up to that point. Because again, it, why did Samuel get to hear God? If you don't know the backstory, it looks like God just randomly chose this guy when there's a lot less random to it than you might imagine. I'm going to talk to you about, uh, summarize of First Samuel chapters 1 through 3. And uh, basically, when this, this, these chapters open up, they're really just a summary of an ordained but corrupt priesthood versus an ordinary but wholehearted guy. That's basically the simplicity of it. And they go back and forth contrasting the way the priesthood would live and the way Samuel would live. But the story opens up with this great mother. Her name's Hannah, and Hannah couldn't conceive children, so she began to cry out to God. She prayed for years about this, but nothing happened. Finally, she shows up at the temple in a moment of desperation and tears. She cries out. She's, she's on her knees before God, and she says, God, give me a son. Give me a man-child, and I will lend him to the Lord all the days of his life. I'll bring him back to the temple, but I, I'm asking you for a child. Well, the priest bless her, blesses her. She conceives later, and she keeps good on her word. And the Bible tells us that she brought Samuel back to the temple uh, when he was weaned. And so in our day, weaning a baby means bringing them to solid food. But in their day, weaning a child meant more than that. It meant bringing them to solid food. It meant teaching them, you know, making them potty trained, making sure they could walk and talk. They do basic social skills and respect. I'm going to guess she probably brought him to the temple around eight years old. And here's what I imagine. This is all my imagination. Come on, moms. Join me in this, because you get your kids, you love your kids, right? This, imagine you could have a child, and you're about to give this child up. The one you couldn't have, you've now had, you made a promise, though, and you're going to keep good on it, because you're a true worshiper of God. Hey, little buddy, hey, Samuel, listen, I've got to, you know, when he starts to understand, you know, over the next few years, I'm training you to, you're going to serve God in the temple. You're going to go away from mommy and daddy for a little bit, okay? Child's probably like, what? I'm going to come see you every year. I promise I'll come see you probably several times a year. But listen, it's going to be great. You're going to get to be with amazing men of God. Uh, you're going to get to hear the stories about Moses. You're going to get to offer up the worship sacrifices of Israel. You're going to get to serve alongside the priests as a priest in the house of God. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. And Samuel probably signed up and mom sewing in the word into him, mom telling him the stories about Moses and Joshua and men who would stand, who would go to the tent of meeting and they would come away with the word of the Lord. And then Joshua, the Bible says, he stayed at the tent and it, while Moses would go off, Joshua would seek the Lord. No wonder he was the second leader of Israel. He was a seeker. I love seekers. The practice of seeking. So she brings her son. Gives, them to the, gives this child to the priesthood. Can you imagine his first day there, walking into this temple? I mean, the thing was about one-third of a football field. Its height, its ceiling height, was probably, I'm guessing this is what, 18 feet? It would be almost three times this height. We have a tent, it's like, it's just a little small tent. No, massive portable church, you know what I'm saying? And then you walk in, and you walk in the court, and you're greeted by this bronze laver as you come through the curtain, this big barbecue that's like, 
like you could throw a bull on it. You know what I'm saying? Big barbecue. And you walk around that. You imagine just getting escorted around the first time. You're like, bronze laver, water, just beautiful looking. Wow, polished. You, and, and when they finally get you old enough and you get to go see the, the menorah, the, the gold lampstand with the seven fire, lamps of fire burning and the table of showbread and the altar of incense. And then you know you get up right to this curtain where you know the Ark of the Covenant is behind it, but you can't go in there. But the thing that meant the presence of God for Israel, it's right behind there. Can you imagine? I used to imagine Samuel would be like one of those guys like, get up on the curtain like, He's in there, rubbing his, rubbing his back on the badger skins, you know. <sighs> I can't go in there. Samuel, a young eight-year-old, been told all the legendary stories about God by his mom, and imagine his disappointment when he discovers the priesthood is corrupt. What does he do? Does he give up on God? Because corruption is in the earth. Dude, did he even attack his corrupt, now adopted brothers? No, what did he do? He just ministered to the Lord, the Bible tells us. In his learning to minister to the Lord, this contrast between that priesthood and Samuel's devotion is the whole point of the first three chapters. God trying to teach the people of God for all time, there is a difference between the regular church attender, if, as it were in our day, the temple attender in their day, and the true seeker of God. And ministry to the Lord led to where Pastor Fern brought you last week. And I'm going to start there. I just want to read a few verses to you. They're not going to be on the screen. I just I'm going to go through them pretty fast. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So the word of the Lord, the messages from God, was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Some translations of the Bible says there was no prophetic vision. Almost seeming as if there should be, because Israel's history had so much of it. But now maybe because of the corruption of the priesthood, it's not there. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. Then Elkanah, which was Samuel's biological father, went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. You know, it's a bad day when the people that lead the ministry don't know God. Now, when it says they don't know God, because it's, you're going to hear this later with Samuel, it's going to say later when he begins to hear God, he did not yet know the Lord either. It's kind of like imagine a popular personality, somebody famous, an actor, an actress. You know their bio, you see it online, TMZ or whatever you get your trashy news from. I'm just kidding. And then, uh, and, and you see all their lives, but you don't actually know them personally. It's saying that the priesthood did not have a personal relationship with God, and neither at this time did Samuel. They both knew the stories of God, but there's a real contrast. Let me ask you this. When you hear the stories of God, do they provoke, provoke you to pursuit? Or just looking at like some kind of history that you, you kind of, uh, meh, as my kids say today. That's my best 50-year-old version of meh. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 17 through 18. Therefore, the sin of the young men, referring to the priest, was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. 
Okay, let me help you understand the offering of the Lord, because people would bring their sacrifices, doves, uh, uh, a lot of it was cattle, and, and they really liked that beef cattle, you know what I'm saying? And so they would bring it, and it says they, they would basically steal the offering, take the best part that should be offered to God, and feed themselves. Now, the priests were always supposed to get a piece of meat from the offering. It was just part of the sustenance of their labor. But what they were doing was saying, we're going to get the best part, forget that. So it's like, yo, man, uh, <clears throat> cut that beef tenderloin out of there and hand that to me. I want the filet mignon. And, the, and, the, and, the, and you might be bringing your offering and you're going, what? No, this is supposed to be to worship God. Let me give you a modern picture you'll understand. All of us have lived long enough, probably, and maybe, maybe the youngest ones in here not, where you turn on your TV and you see a television preacher of some kind and they want your money. Send this in and I'm going to send you this cloth we've prayed over and you're going to get healed. If that offends you, I'm not really trying to offend you. I just know for a fact that a lot of that stuff's not legit. And what they're most interested in is your money. And it causes people like my father and others throughout their life to despise the offering of the Lord because in his day he saw that kind of stuff and he's like, these guys, all they want is your money. Now, it's one thing if I say, hey, you are the church of Jesus Christ. You should worship God with your money. But if you found out I was taking it and buying planes and Ferraris and whatever else, you're going to have a real problem with that, right? Because you gave it to do the work of the ministry. And there's a level at which I've got to live off that, but I don't need to live off the best of it. Are you following me? And this is what would happen. But listen to what happens. In the midst of that corruption, Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Now, this is a very important statement because the priesthood came from the tribe of Levi. Samuel did not. Only the tribe of Levi was supposed to become priests. God's beginning to signal something. It comes out in a prophecy later in this passage. I'm going to skip that prophecy, but there's a simple idea that God will honor those who honor him and he will esteem lightly those who despise him. The ordained priesthood, who should be ministering to the Lord, were not doing it. And they had no heart for it. But then you have this non-priest, ordinary guy, but with a heart for God that God is beginning to recognize in his house after watching years of his devotion to him. And I guess the question I have for you is, what's that say for you and me? Because sometimes we can feel pretty ordinary. Sometimes we can feel like, I'm not spiritually elite like these guys I read about. I'm not looking for spiritually elite people. I'm looking for heart. I'm looking for worship from the heart. I'm looking for reality on the inside, not religion on the outside. Hello? Samuel had this privilege of being priestly in a time when no one got to do that other than the priests. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 21, it says, his mother Hannah began to have more children at their house wherever they're at. But it says, meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord while he ministered to the Lord. Do you know your spiritual growth, your personal growth in God happens when you minister to him? Like, I, like the church has been co-opted to being an activist movement and, and, and on both sides of the political aisle. And I, to me, that's almost like abhorring the sacrifice of the Lord. I love it when um, Joshua comes to, he's about to go into battle, and he sees this glorious man, the Bible puts it, and he comes up to him and says, are you for us? Are you for them? And he's like, neither. I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. You better get on my side. 
When we follow Jesus Christ, we've joined up to a kingdom that will not be corrupted, co-opted by the political purposes of men. God hates that. God is advancing a kingdom that will crush all other kingdoms eventually. With love. But there will always be those who hate him. If you look at the book of Revelation, it doesn't end well for those who resist him. And so, Samuel grows before the Lord. Pursuing God while the rest of the world's do whatever it's doing. 1 Samuel 2.26 this tells a story of, of the priestly the priests now. Not only have they been robbing the offerings, they've been having sexual relationship with just just immoral, sexually immoral, not their wives, relationship with women at the temple. You couldn't get more. And so all of Israel knows about this. Their hypocrisy is legendary. But Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. You know, I have to believe at some point his brothers as Samuel got older said, yo, bro, I got a girl for you here, man, tonight. Come on, come hang with the boys. We're gonna have some fun. We're gonna party. Sam's like, no, you guys can do your thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of the temple. Oh, you goody two-shoes, says his brother. What? You know, you know what I'm saying? You have to believe. Uh, come on, peer pressure didn't start in our generation. And all of that ministry to the Lord leads up to what Pastor Verm brought you two weeks ago, where the Lord suddenly, without warning, after Samuel ministering to the Lord for years, begins to say, Samuel, whoa, I'm hearing a voice. And, and Vern unpacked that masterfully, so I'm not going to do that again. But he goes through that process of, I'm hearing God. And God begins to raise him up as a prophet in his generation. Here's, here's what I want to take you. I want you to think about this. They were all a part of the same church, but had two totally different outcomes. Just treat the temple like a church. I know you Bible my teachers in here. No, it's a temple. Gotcha. But two, two uh, uh, same church, two totally different outcomes because of two totally different hearts. The priesthood used religion for their own gain. They were religious. Samuel issued, if I could push off religion, and pursued reality in his relationship with God. I want to call you to that today, to push off religion and embrace a real, simple, and pure devotion, relationship to Jesus Christ. He, he wasn't religious in his pursuit. He was real. And, and, and the thing, uh, you know, what ends up happening to the priesthood is they end up dying in battle. Hophni and Phinehas are killed. Eli dies the same day. It's tragic. It's a tragic story in the Bible as it leads up to this point. And I believe God was put that in the Bible for one simple thing, that we learn the difference between the, that which is a true seeking of God and that which is a false kind of religious thing we do. And only you and the Lord know what's real. I'm not gonna judge any of you. But there was a time in Samuel's life when he never heard the Lord, just like many of you. There was a day he could have gone on and said, Read about the prophets and go, man, these prophets, like Moses, he's so awesome. Look how he hears God. Oh, man, imagine memories back up on that curtain. Mm. I wish I could hear God like those guys. Ooh, I wish I could go in there. And I have to imagine that the holiness of God, the presence behind the veil, sees his heart and is like, I don't know how that works in heaven with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with Michael and the angels or whatever. But I, Michael, Gabriel, man, we got to do something for this boy. You could just talk to him. I'm going to talk to him. Samuel, oh, what the, Eli, you, 
You know what I'm saying? The ones who had the priesthood died without any encounter with God. The ordinary guy who had real pursuit in his heart had an authentic relationship with God and God raised him to be a prophet in his generation. I believe God wants to do something like that here in our midst. God is not looking for extraordinary people. He's looking for ordinary people with an extraordinary God. He's looking for people with an extraordinary pursuit because they know the extraordinary God on the other side of that is worth going after. He did this for years before God spoke to him. So here's, and, and so he, he, there's like most of us, many of us have never heard God. And then there was a moment when it all changed in one moment. What's your point, Jimmy? My point is, first of all, don't base what God can do in your future or even your present today based upon what your past experience has been. Well, I've never heard God. Are you implying that you can never hear God because God can't open your ears to hear his voice? Do you assume your current experience is the only experience to have? That's the first thing. Second thing is pursue God for years if necessary, knowing that one day he will speak to you. I don't know what it's like. I'm guessing Samuel probably had this pursuit going on for like eight years. That's, that's being, it could be longer than that, but minimally he probably went about eight years before the famed experience, before the light tabernacle, the, 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 the lamp goes out in the tabernacle and God speaks to him. We get tired of spending time with God in a few minutes. You know, God said in Exodus 24, the Bible says he called Moses to be with him there on the mountain, right before he gave the Ten Commandments. And so the mountain's burning with fire, and it's got the glory of the Lord on top of it. Moses, everyone knows the stories of Moses, almost everyone. If you don't even know Bible stuff, you probably saw Prince of Egypt when you grew up or something. Like, yeah, most people know the story of Moses. What they don't know, because they see it in little sound bites, or they read it real fast, is in that moment, right when God called him, Moses, come up to me on the mountain. He went up there to be there with the Lord. He was there with him for seven days. For six days, he waited on the mountain. On the seventh day, after spending seven days with God, with no response from God, I don't know what he was doing up there. He's in the glorious cloud. You're holy. You're awesome. I worship you. Oh, man, I pray you'll deliver us from Egypt. Take us into the promised land. I mean, how many times can you pray that before your prayer meeting's done? And this is where we've been trying to lead you in this hearing God thing is there's a point when prayer gets done. You need to pray, but there's a point when it gets done and it's time to listen. And I would suggest we need to listen more, way more than we need to speak. The Bible tells us that Jesus spent all night in prayer to the Father. What do you pray all night in prayer to the Father? If he doesn't start talking back, that's going to be the longest night of your life. If he starts talking back, you better have a bunch of journals on hand because you're not to start writing. Are you following me? The third thing I want to say out of that is for Samuel's life is don't judge your times with God. You know what I mean by that? We have a tendency to go in our time and say, well, I don't know if I got him. I just wasn't feeling it today. or I didn't get anything out of it. That begins to expose our purpose for a relationship with God. I don't go to God for what I get out of it. I go to give him something. I'm the worshiper, he's the worshiped. We have made, the American gospel has turned God into a transactional relationship where we approach God for what he gives us and he is generous and he will give, but that's not the starting spot. The starting spot is he is God and holy. I am not God and a sinner. 
in his graciousness, he sent his son to die on a cross for me and reconcile me to him. Now I get to come boldly before the throne of grace and find help in my time of need. I should be going there going, I'm here and I need help. But I don't mean the kind of help like, could you give me a nice boyfriend or girlfriend? And I'd like you to pay my bills. And that's all important. You know, Jesus said, give us his day our daily bread. And I'm, I guess, hopefully, you know, once in a lifetime wife or husband. I did not say that the first service. Uh, so now I'm trying to find my way out of that. Uh, so... Man, I totally lost my train of thought. So anyway, it's not transactional. It's not transactional. The, the purpose is that we come to God to worship him and give him something. And in that, we receive grace that helps us. One of the graces that helps you is to move you from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. Self-consciousness, self-awareness has been the problem since the fall. Adam and Eve eat some fruit and the southern they become self-conscious. Oh, well, I'm naked. You've been naked, bro. You just had your eyes open to that reality. And now you're self-focused and you've lost sight of God. Okay, so what's the point? You can be so filled with a focus on God, you won't even be aware you're naked. Hello. That's when you know you're, you're, you've arrived. Anyway. Um, and the fourth thing is, uh, I mean, I doubt Samuel went into his time with God judging his time with God. He was just happy to be there. And I want you to know, when you go to prayer and it feels weak and it feels broken, God's happy that you're there. He's not judging it either. Can you hear that again? When you show up for prayer, God's not judging it either. He's just happy that you came. And you need to be happy that he allows you to come, no matter what state you find yourself. All right, second practice, God speaks to the available. You know, I began to tell Lydia stories about when God began to awaken my voice. Because like Samuel, you go through a season of your life where you don't hear God at all. And then suddenly, God begins to talk to me as I begin a life of pursuit, just kind of like I'm talking to you right now. And I don't have time to unpack my personal testimony. But I want to tell you one story that became real, became enlightening to me because it had never happened to me before. I'd be spending time with God and Lydia was beginning to hear some of these stories that she began to think were basically lies. She thought I was making stuff up. Like, I think he's highly, 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 highly embellishing that story. Well, we happened to be out to dinner at Uno's Pizzeria down in Texas one night. While we're sitting there, the waitress comes up. The waitress comes up and greets us and wants to take her order. I look up at her, and I begin to feel what I call the presence of God on my face. Now, if you've never experienced that, it's probably hard to understand. But for me, the experience is kind of like, feel like my head was about this fat and numb and almost like static electricity around my whole head. My TV was definitely on, okay, for those who remember the old TVs. And so I felt, I, I, I looked up at this, at our waitress, Chris, her name is Christine, and I, and I was like, okay, Lord, I, I feel like you, I'm praying on the inside, I feel like you're trying to get my attention, but I don't know what for. And I looked up at Christine, and I said, is it about her? And he said, he's, and I felt like the Holy Spirit told me yes, and he said that, um, I said, well, what do you want me to know? He said, Christine is a, a Christian, she has a boyfriend, she's in a sexually immoral relationship right now, and I love her. I was like, and you want me to do what with that information? Like, that was all in my head. Where's this going, God? You know, I have friends today who say, how'd you see that working out? You know, <laughs> thankfully, I didn't get that foresight. I just went for it. So I looked at her. So I look over at Lydia across the table in our dating relationship, right? She'd never seen me do this stuff before. So Lydia's across the table. I'm looking at her like I ate something really bad, sour, you know, like, and then she's looking back at me like, what? And, and I, I just put my finger up and I said, uh, Christine, can I ask you a personal question? She said, yeah. I said, do you have a boyfriend? 
She said, yeah. I said, yeah. I said, well, uh, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And Jesus just spoke to me and told me you're a Christian, that you have a boyfriend, um, that, uh, that you're in a sexually immoral relationship. With you. He loves you and he wants you to repent. He wants you to stop it. She begins to cry her eyeballs out right there at the table. I'm just eject tears. It was the most awkward moment ever because other wait, wait staff were walking by. It was, a, it was the big Unos, not little Unos. Like people were everywhere watching this whole dynamic. And, and so she would come back and wait at the table. And that, through that night, we began to minister the gospel to her. And my wife started believing my stories. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, so here's, here's where I want to go with that. A couple things. First of all, God didn't use me because I was brother wonderful. Right? Oh, you're some anointed prophet. You always hear God. <laughs> no, I don't. I do not always hear God. In fact, my, my wife will tell you that for sure also. Uh, I was available. Right? Once you start seeking and God starts talking and you want more connection, if you'll say, God, send me where you send me, use me however you want to use me, he will. Don't be surprised if he tries to get your attention. Lydia's got her own stories. I don't know what she's going to share next week, but she'll have her own stories for sure related to all this kind of stuff. When you get tempted and God starts using you and you're available to get full of yourself, which is very easy to do, it's never happened to me, ever. I'm reminded of a story of another prophet in the Bible, a man named Balaam, who was a prophet, but because of his own self-centered interest, God stopped speaking to him instead and chose, rather, to choose the available one who ears were open to him, the donkey he was riding on. Whenever you get full of yourself, remember that God can use any old donkey. Let the reader understand. <laughs> to communicate on his behalf. I should have got more sleep last night. This is getting rare real fast. <laughs> Bottom line is ask, ask God for divine appointments. And the, and the final thing, the final practice that those who hear God regularly uh, uh, practice is, is, is this. God speaks to the obedient. Hearing God presupposes that you want to obey. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 2, the Isaiah prophet representing God says, God says, why when I came, was no one there? Why when I called, did no one answer? Now, I'm sure Israel probably thought in a religious estate, if God showed up, I would definitely entertain God. They didn't know how he was showing up. But then Isaiah begins to tell of himself in, in chapter 50, verse 4 through 5. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who's weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Come on, how many of you would like that to be you? How would you like God? You're waking up and all of a sudden you hear God talking to you. How many would like that to be you? Come on, heaven's watching. God might be taking a poll. Hey, let's, hey guys, pick somebody down there. Here's my next conversation. Let me ask you a couple questions. He says, God has given me the tongue of the learned, meaning like his, I sound like an educated person even though I have no education. Who does that? God, right? Who opens the ear to hear? God. But there's a shared partnership between you and God to learn to understand him and obey what he speaks to you. And, and, and I've, I've taught this kind of analogy here multiple times in different ways, but some of you are so new and you've never heard this before. And it's just such a valuable help. I want to share it with you. Now, many of you have, have raised children in this room. And one of the things about raising kids, right, is when they're born, they don't know your native tongue. So if it's English, it's English, Spanish, Spanish, and whatever else you might speak. 
uh, intrinsically in your household. So what a child hears when they're born is, have you ever seen uh, uh, um, Charlie Brown? The Charlie Brown cartoon? If not, just pull it up on, in fact, pull up on YouTube, Charlie Brown's teacher, and you'll see what I'm saying. Because there's all kinds of videos out there for it. But when I was a kid watching, I would watch these Charlie Brown cartoons, and I get so frustrated because they'd be in class, and like Charlie Brown and Linus would be having a conversation. Hey, Linus, teacher, you hear this, wah, 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 wah. And you're like, yes, ma'am, wah, 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 wah. Okay, ma'am, wah, wah. And I'm like, and as a kid, I'm going, what do they say? And sometimes when God speaks, we can get the stirring on the inside that goes along the lines of, wah, wah. You know what I'm saying? You feel something, but I don't know what, I don't understand what it is that's happening to me. In fact, I would bet most of you have had that happen. If I could ask God, God, how many of you have done that to you? He's going to go, I'm at 100% right now. And you're, no, I, I don't. Well, maybe, maybe you do. Let me give you a different picture. When our, when our children were born, right? They come out. I see Jessica and my son Josiah over there, uh, my easy, most easiest trained child and my least easiest trained child. I'll let you figure out which one's which. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, when they were born, you know, I, 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 well, I pulled them out and, and I don't pull them out actually. 47, 32. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but when I got to hold the baby, <laughs> Show the first video for archive. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm, holding, I'm holding my child, right? I'm looking at, at Jessica or, or Carissa or Josiah or Joanna. Hi, Joanna. You're probably online somewhere. If you're not, you're in trouble. Um, you know, Micah. And I, I, would, I would hold them and I would look at them and I'd say, when I first get them, I just love babies, man. And I'm looking at this baby and I'm like, oh, you're so cute. I just love you so much. What do they hear? They don't know English. They're like, wah, wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> They don't understand language. How do we learn language? We learn language by the experience. We learn language by the association. They're feeling held. They're feeling love. They got the warm fuzzies going, I love you. Wah, wah, wah. That must be something good inside the baby's brain, you know? First time that baby goes to do something, grab something off dad's plate, mm, you know? Ooh, the bad sound. I don't think that's probably not good. No words on that one. <laughs> English or your native language was, was um, once only a sound to all of us. It takes effort to learn to speak English or any language, and that effort is accomplished in the context of relationship with your parent. In our case, when it comes to our spiritual life, Father God, before I get to that, though, Another part of association would be things like when the children were first see my coffee cup sitting out there the first time, and you know they're going to they're coming to do the hand dive. They're about to just grab the mug. Any of the parents know what I'm talking about? And so before my child does the scalding baptism of their hand, I'm like, stop it. And the wise parent that I am, I said, how can I teach them not to do that? So I decided, hey, I could touch the side of my cup. Okay, it's hot, but it's not going to scald them. Take their hand and I put it on the side of the cup. I pin it there for a second. And they're looking at me like, and I go hot, and they. Pull my hand away. They're like, no, they're thinking right now. Dad, what'd you do to me? And sometimes when God goes to train us, he's trying to teach us in a small trial something that's going to protect us from a bigger problem later. He wants you to get the lesson then so that when mom and dad, right, open the stove up and they're pulling out the meatloaf, a kid walks up to a 450 degree backside of an oven, they don't go and like cook their hands. So when my kids would do that, literally pulling something out, and they're walking up there, you can see they're making the dash. Cool, I want to join mommy in this party. I can go, hot, and they go, whoa. 
Why? There's an association in their mind. All they know about that association, it was a bad idea the last time. When they begin to, their kids, they begin to crawl, they can begin to exercise their, their energy towards something, and they go to grab an a, a, you know, electrical outlet or something that's plugged in the wall, they're going to grab on a cord. I'll grab their hand, right? And I'll take those two fingers and go, no. So you're like, you evil man, you, you smacked your kid's hand. No, what's evil is letting, uh, you know, the, the 120 volts flow through their body. That's a little more evil. So I'm, um, ouch. And I look up and go, no, I'm not mad. I'm not, I'm not, they're, 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 this is an anger thing. It's a training thing. No. And they look at me like that furred eyebrow. What are you doing, dad? I'm training you. I love you. Wah, wah, wah. So they put their hand back out. And I go, I grab it again. No. And all of a sudden, those neural pathways are connecting dots upstairs. And they're learning, okay, no, don't do that. Then they go to do it without me slapping their hand. I go, no. And they go, and they pull away. I go, yay. Uh, Nope. Pull back. Yay. And they're like, I got this. I got this. He likes it when I don't do that. He, I'm going to get popped on the hand when I, you know what I'm saying? What's it look like in our relationship with God when God's raising his kids? Because remember, God, God ultimately speaks to the obedient. Just like I'm trying to train my children, my training, my children's obedience isn't about some self-serving control thing as the parent. I love them and I don't want them to hurt themselves and I want them to land on what God made them for. What's God's purpose for us? Because Jesus said, you fathers, your hearts being evil don't how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your heavenly father who has no evil in him at all, no self-centered motive at all in this, he's really doing it for your benefit. What's that look like for us? Well, Job 33 and verse 14 says, God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. So God's speaking, he's saying, God's broadcasting to your team, but we're not perceiving it. We're not understanding. Early on in our Christian journey, we have this thing called conviction. It's kind of this internal thing that knows right and wrong, and the Holy Spirit speaks into that thing. You can call it your gut. I got a gut feeling it's a bad idea. You can call it your spirit, but I think God might be trying to do something that he's always intended to do with you. He's trying to wake up, open your ear to hear, and he's saying, well, you respond to this. So conviction starts with, it's kind of the no of God, no? And you're still trying to figure out, like that kid, you're going, okay, what, what exactly am I doing wrong? I'm trying, you know, or I don't think God wants me to do this. I'm going to do it anyway, right? Because spiritual kids do what little kids do. They, it see, their brain tells them that thing that's going to fry them seems fun. And some of you, like me, I lived a life of sinfulness. You feel like sinfulness is fun, but I'm telling you, it's an electric shock that's going to hurt real bad. In the long haul, when you finally, when it's all said and done, well, I got away with it this time. Yeah, it's not this time. It's not that time. It's the time it kills you that we're most concerned about. So we have this thing called conviction. It's the know of God. If you will respond well to conviction as you mature, that conviction gets understanding with it. It's like you just know stuff. So if Carissa, my daughter, was in the front row here, she, if she said, hey, dad, um, I've been telling her no, you know, slap her hand, but she grew up, she don't need slaps on the hand, she gets yes and no. And she comes to me and she says, hey, I want to go to the, I want to, uh, uh, you know, go to the beach with my friends this weekend, can I do that? And I say no. She doesn't assume she's done something wrong, she assumes she's being led. Because frankly, back when I was smacking her hand, I was just trying to lead her too. I wasn't trying to hurt her, I was trying to lead her. I just needed her mind to grow to where she could handle adult communication. I said, no, what, we're, we've got a plan. We're going to take you to Hershey Park this weekend, so on and so forth. 
In other words, I have another destiny for her than the one she's planning for herself. Are you tracking with this analogy? I hope you are. Um, and so we can mature. As we mature in our spiritual perceptions of God's communication, conviction can be used to confirm some direction we're being led in or not being led in, and it takes on a greater depth. Would you stand on your feet? Look, I hope you've had some fun in trying to understand a troubleshoot your connection. But I want to take a moment right now where I'm going to ask you, would you look at your connection for a moment with God? Would you get honest about where you're at? If you came today with a friend and you're not a Christian, you're just checking this all out, I'm talking to you. If you're a Christian though today, and Jesus warns in Revelation chapter three of a, a church that becomes lukewarm. And it's interesting what he says to the lukewarm church. I want you to hear the words he says. He's not, this isn't to the lost people, okay? So people, that they've used this wrongly for unsaved people for years. This is for the church that's lukewarm. We can have a kind of this unawareness that we are having a problem. We think we're just fine. God says, no, you're actually poor, miserable, wretched, naked, and blind. Now here's the thing. None of us think that's us any more than they thought that was them. They literally thought, it says, we are rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. Their perception of their walk with God was, I am blessed by God. And God said, you're poor, miserable, wretched, naked, and blind. Here's what his answer was. Listen to this, you ready? And I want you to think about it for your own life. Today, if anyone hears my voice, behold, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, listen to this. That's his part, here's your part. And opens the door, I will come into him. I'll come into him. And we're gonna have fellowship together. The way God speaks to you is he gets inside you. Pastor Vern again will unpack that if you wanna hear that, but I wanna focus on this first step. And again, let me tell you who he's writing to. I love this because I love it and it kind of scares me. The church is having worship services. He's writing to the church at Laodicea. And he says, behold, I stand outside the door and knock. Can I ask you a question? How is it that we could be having church services and Jesus is on the outside when it's all about him? The most honored guest, the one who should have the priority place in our midst is on the outside? How'd that happen? I don't know. We got caught up with life. We got caught up with other stuff. I want to tell you something. That's really awesome in that passage. He says, as many as I love, I want you to count yourself in that, in that. And then listen to the next statement. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Right? Just like a father and their kids reaching out to grab something. As many as I love, you're about to do something that's going to hurt you. I rebuke and chasten. Why? I want you to partake in my holiness. I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to open the door. I want you to invite me in. I want to lead your life. And if you will surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, he promises he'll forgive your sins and do just that. The Bible tells us that Jesus came from heaven to earth. And he died on a cross for our sins and rose again. That anyone believing in him wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. Perish means not in a lake of fire apart from his presence. And eternal life means forever with him. In a case you think heaven's boring, Psalm 16 tells us in God's presence is fullness of joy. I want you to think about the most joyful experience you've ever had in God's presence. It's full of joy. Then it tells us at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
That's not a boring place. That's a place that's saturated in the atmosphere of heaven with love, with peace, with joy, with light, with beautiful sound, with color, with seraphim, cherubim, angels, just a glorious rainbow almost seen around the throne. They don't even need the sun there because the light comes from the presence of God. The alternative is darkness and weeping and gnashing. If you choose a self-centered life, that's where that goes. If you choose Jesus, it's a whole different experience. Here's the other thing I want you to know about that. You don't got to be perfect. You got to try. Go back to uh, uh, Samuel and, and Eli and Hophni and Phineas. So go back to the priests and the ordinary guy. It's not about coming to church and being religious. Those guys were around. They were the closest to God's presence in that day that anybody could be, yet totally missed God. Samuel had a heart for God. And you got to answer a call. That call is like somebody takes a line and draws a line in the sand. And you've got to make a decision to cross it. The difference between Samuel and his brothers, I have every expectation that Samuel failed in his, Samuel sinned. Samuel needed a savior too. It's just God saw his heart that he didn't want to be defined by that like his brothers. His brothers loved their sin. Samuel hated his sin. God's not asking you to be perfect. He's asking you to hate it. He's asking you to want to change. He's asking you to want transformation. And if you want to say, well, I don't need transformation. I don't need change. You don't know God. Because when you see the Holy God, you will most certainly know you need change. Here's what happens. While I'm preaching a message like this, the Holy Spirit's doing his job. And right now, you are feeling the beginnings of the voice of God. You're feeling this thing called conviction happening inside you right now, where you're like, if you are not in a right place with God, you already know it. And if you don't want to surrender to God, you're putting your spiritual fingers in your ears going, la, 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 I don't hear you. But God, you can't fool an omniscient God. He is on the inside right now going, yeah, you do. And Jesus is saying, behold, I'm standing at the door of your heart knocking. Will you open it up? Will you let me in? I want to encourage you to do that today. I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to start with those who don't know Jesus and I'll talk to the church. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and get in that inner space with you and God? I want you to see on that ground a line drawn. There's sand there. and We draw a line in the sand. And you can say, I'm going to stay the way I am or go continue in a different trajectory other than God's. Or I'm going to surrender. I'm going to step across that line and give myself to Jesus Christ. I'm going to receive the gift of salvation and eternal life. I'm going to receive the leadership and the lordship of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that I'm going to honor him. What happens to so many of us is we focus on what we have to give up, not what we're gaining. I gave up a lot when I left a sinful party lifestyle in the world. But what I gained was so much better. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I want to serve, I do, I, I need Jesus. I know it, I feel it on the inside. I'm hearing that knock at my door. I really want him to come into me. I really want to surrender to his leadership. I want to make a covenant with him. I want to cross that line today. If that's you, would you raise your hand high and let me pray for you. I'm not going to call you up or embarrass you. I see you. So you see you, yep. Awesome. See you, yep. Back there, I see you. Awesome. Thank you for your boldness. That pleases the Lord. Let's pray. Pray this. We say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit as I confess Jesus is Lord of my life. 
With your help, I set aside my sin and I'm seeking a life in your presence. I'm asking you to open my ears to hear your voice, to help me live a life that's pleasing to you. Help me and show me what my next steps are. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God thanks for those that said yes to Jesus.